0: listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning everybody. It's good to see you out. Those of you that are new to MCC, welcome, and those of you who are back For your second or third, fourth time, or maybe you've been with us through the entire series, welcome this morning. Thanks for being here. Well, take your Bible and grab it and turn two places there with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. As we look at this next promise, we're looking at God's promises and my responsibility. We're going to look at this next promise that nothing can separate us from God's love. And then turn to that promise itself in Romans chapter 8. We were there last week uh, looking at the promise right before it. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Men, this is your final weekend to sign up for the Everyman Weekend Encounter and take advantage of the discount. All of us like to take advantage of discounts, right? And so today we're offering an extra $10 off, right? The last opportunity to sign up and get that $10 off on your registration is going to be a great event. And a couple of our guys, Joe and Travis, will be out at the event table uh, to help you register after the service. Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, the Apostle Paul. Has taken seven chapters. If you begin in Romans chapter 1, the very first thing that you're going to read about there is God's desire for every man, every woman, every child to know him, to have relationship with him. But right off the bat, we have to be real and we have to look at the separation that sin brings between God and man. And for the next six chapters, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the lengths that God has gone to to make sure that we can know his love, that we can know his grace, that we can know his forgiveness in our life. And finally, in Romans chapter eight, he comes to that promise that we looked at in verse 28 last week. Anybody remember what the promise is? That God is at work in what? all things God is at work in all things the good the bad even the ugly he's at work in all things for what for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose and one of the things that God is at work at is for us to come to that point of knowing him of receiving him as savior and lord of our life Well, Paul continues on, and in verse 38, he gives us this promise of God. And this is where our focus is this week, and I want you to read it aloud with me, and let's begin the process today, if you haven't already, of memorizing this promise. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can keep us separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Now what a promise to hold on to. Now there are several things about this promise that should jump off the page at you. The first is the person that God chose to record this promise, the Apostle Paul, a man just like you and I who came to a relationship with Jesus Christ a little bit later in his life, is that he says what? He says, I am convinced that nothing. Now that's a big statement. To say that nothing can separate you. There are so many things today that separate us, right? Time and space separate us from people that we love. Uh, Words that are said, posts that are on social media, that that come up that, that aren't intended to bring separation, but yet they do. Here, the Apostle Paul says that there is nothing... Nothing in all creation that can separate us from God's love. Now, Paul, Paul was convinced of this for many, many reasons in his life. first of all, we could list all of his experiences, things in your life and mine that would have made us feel separated from God's love. In Paul's life, he was what? He experienced shipwrecks. Now, how many of you have been in a shipwreck? right but 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 think about the shipwrecks in our life today we think we're headed in a certain trajectory We're we're headed someplace in our life and then all of a sudden we run up on a sandbar or a storm comes in our life and completely spins our boat around and sends us in the opposite direction and where we land we feel as if there's no way to get back on the boat there's no there's no way back to where we came from. Paul experienced that not just figuratively, but he experienced it literally. How many of us have been wrongly accused? Right? At some point or another, most all of us have. I can't believe the number of things people say that I've said, and I have no idea I've said them. (laughs) But you know, it happens, and we are wrongly, sometimes rightly, but in Paul's case, wrongly accused. He was put on trial for his faith actually on trial. Not just the trials that we feel like we go through sometimes where somebody looks at us a little funny and we feel like we're being persecuted, but he was actually put on trial before an official, a Roman official. He was chained at multiple points to a Roman guard and imprisoned. He was placed under house arrest. He was banished to the island of Patmos where he was left alone. Surely at some point he felt separated, but yet he says here that I'm convinced that nothing can separate. Think about his past. You you may not know his past, but if you want to look at the book of Acts, you you can read from about chapter 7, 8, 9 on, and, and you can see all about his past. You can read all about these shipwrecks, but the thing about his past was that before he came to Christ, he was the number one persecutor of Christ followers. You, you talk about people who stand in stark contrast to the things that you believe in that you hold dear today. He was the one leading the band in that. He was the one in charge of putting people to death who believed and followed in the way. I always looked at Paul and listened to his writings about how he was so educated and, 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 and the best of the best. And I thought, man, this guy's got an ego this big. But he, even his ego couldn't separate him from the love of God. Well, that's why in verse 38, he, he has confidence in giving us this list of the big things in this life that often often we believe can or should or do separate us from the love of Christ. He says the valley of the shadow of death, death itself can't separate us from his love. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You and I, when we're buried with him in Christian baptism, what? We're assured that we will rise with him. And so when death comes on this earth and you take your final breath here, guess what? Your next breath is in the very presence of God and his great love. He's right there receiving you into his eternal kingdom life itself life itself can't separate you from his love and you think what do you mean life itself well look at our lives today look at the separation that that brings us from God all of the blessings that God's given us the ability to play in athletic things the ability to travel any place we want to travel cars and homes, all of these material blessings that that are allowed for us to use for a season, but yet they separate us. They separate us from the gathering. They, they They separate our mind from thinking about things above. We're all focused on things right here in front of us, family and friends, all of these great things. Not a thing wrong with them, except they can separate us. But even when we have pulled back. Paul says, even life itself can't separate you from God's love. Angels or demons. Boy, I'd like to blame Satan for a lot of things in my life. But the reality is he doesn't have that kind of power. It says right here, even the angels in heaven and all of their splendor and glory and the devil himself and his demons cannot separate you from God's Love. You can blame him all you want to. He concludes, nor nothing else in all creation. You know who's included in that list? You and me. As hard as we try sometimes to separate ourselves from him, his love is still there, pursuing us, waiting for us to turn around and reach out and take hold of his love Paul was convinced but the question for you this morning and for me is what what about us what would it take to convince you because you and I as Christians we need to know and if you're today outside of Christ you need to know that God loves you and that when you surrender your life to him nothing nothing can separate you from him Well, in Mark chapter 5, we find a woman who for 12 years, unnamed by the gospel writers, felt very much separated. Felt very much isolated, separated from her family, avoided by her friends, unable to be in worship, unable to have community with others. Ultimately, she became an outcast because of a condition that caused her to hemorrhage. And you say, well, that sounds so silly. Well, it's silly, except that there was a law. There was a Jewish law. There's an Old Testament law that said that when a woman was bleeding, that she needed to keep herself to herself. She wasn't allowed to lay with her husband. She wasn't allowed to be in worship. And this law was built around the idea that that bleeding would last between four and seven days, not 12 years. Not 4,368 days straight that she had been in this condition. And you say, this is such a silly example. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I want you to think about what that means to a person. A person to be bleeding for that long. It means that any hope of having a family, it's gone. Can't bear children when you're bleeding like that. The isolation that that brings from your your friends who, who just don't understand your your condition that don't understand how how you become so closed in because of your circumstances in mark chapter 5 verse 21 we read when jesus when jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake he's always going someplace a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, here we're introduced to the second man. In this, we're gonna look at two different people, two different situations that could, that could have brought separation between them and God's love, at least in their minds. A man, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, He came to where Jesus was. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pled earnestly with Jesus. His plea, my little girl is dying. Only you can help. Will you come with me to the house? Will you touch her? Will you lay your hands on her so that she will not die? And it says right there next, so Jesus went with him. Now we've already got the clue there at the beginning, what happens when Jesus moves to the next place? The crowd moves too. And in this case, it was just like last night. We had, I don't know, 60, 70 teens here. Saturday nights are exciting. If you've not ever been to a Saturday night service because they fill this whole section, you never seen so much hand holding, snuggling up going on. It's awesome, right? No, not really. I have to stop and get their eye contact every five minutes. But they'd gone outside, and all of a sudden I saw some of the youth coaches carrying in these big heated cases. I thought it was Chick-fil-A, and I took off following them. But it was pizza, and you should have seen the crowd. I mean, they were, it just was a crowd following them. You know, nobody stood behind, nobody stayed behind. They all were following the pizza, and that's the case here. The large crowd followed. They even pressed around Jesus. You didn't know Jesus was delivering pizza. And a woman was there, here's the woman that we just talked about, who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Describes her condition. She had suffered a great deal. She'd spent her money on doctors that they couldn't fix her. She'd spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she had heard about Jesus, she came up to him in the crowd, and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And sure enough, immediately when she did, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed, I want you to underline that word, that she was freed from her suffering. Two people, two people in desperate need, Jairus, a Jewish religious official whose daughter was critically ill. Jairus begs Jesus to come to his home, heal his daughter. Jesus goes off with Jairus. The crowd follows, presses in, and let's continue in verse 30. All of a sudden, Jesus stops in his tracks, and he says, who touched me? Hundreds of eyes just stop, (laughs) and they stare. Of course, Peter in Luke's account Peter blurts out, what do you mean who touched you, right? Everybody's trying to get their hands on you, Jesus. But I want you to catch this, and that is miracles cost Jesus something. In fact, you ought to write that down. Every miracle that Jesus performed cost him something. And in fact, he even alludes to this in verse 30 of Mark 5. Who touched me? Master, the people are crowding around you. And he says, I know that power has gone out from me. He felt it. He knew it. Miracles cost him something. And so does his love. The inseparable love of God. The inseparable love of Christ is the most power-filled gift that he gives to us. And it cost him everything. Everything. You know, one of Satan's greatest strategies is to have us believe that we're not worth saving and certainly not worth loving. He's the accuser. He loves to torment us with his accusations. But unlike the Father, God... He's not omniscient, do you know what that means? That means that he is unable to get inside here. He doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know your heart the way God does. Only God has that ability. Only God is omniscient. David wrote, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts, no matter the distance. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar, with, you're familiar with all of my ways. Every moment before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Now this is key to understanding God's promise here that nothing can separate us from his love. Why? because the love of God has no boundaries. You and I, we place boundaries on it. We place conditions, oh, if a person does this, surely they're separated from God's love. Satan, he loves to whisper in your ear, one day it's okay, everybody's doing it, and the next to come right back to you and say, now everybody knows. You need to be ashamed, you need to be embarrassed. But whatever it is in your life that makes you feel separated from God's love, whether it's a label, like being addicted, whether it's you're called sick, whether it's the label of being unemployed, there's nothing more, more powerful over a man's identity sometimes than when we're stripped of our employment. A mental illness like being bipolar, Divorced, homeless, broken, anxious, depressed. The love of Christ knows no boundaries. He recognizes no labels. And it's his alone to give. It's not ours to give. It's not ours to decide who's deserving and who isn't. It's God's. Now, at first, it sounds like a fairy tale because for some of us, no one has ever come to our rescue. No one has ever loved us that way. No one has ever looked underneath the labels. The possibility of a transforming, healing love is too great. But right now, and what we're about to see in this story is that God is calling you to step out and grab hold of his love, but not just the hymn of it. He's not asking you to just barely grab hold and and touch it and walk away. But he's asking you to grab hold, he's challenging you to grab hold of the very heart of it, the heart of it. It's the most memorized passage of scripture even among those who don't believe. For God so loved, what? The world. I want you to think about the world for just a minute today. As beautiful as God created it, as amazing as human beings are in God's creative plan, made in his likeness, the world today and the world now for centuries, but but the world today is as broken and depraved as it can be a world who has rejected him from the very beginning. This is the world that God says, for he so loved that he sent what? He sent a token? He sent a love note? He put a heart on a Facebook message? That he sent his one and only son, the most costly expression of his love, a part of himself, his very self. He paid the highest price that whoever believes, not whoever purchases, not whoever's good enough, not whoever's the right color, not whoever pleases him enough, but whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The enemy would love for you to never get close to that kind of love. But God is right there literally in the middle of the street begging. Calling you to step out and grab hold of his love. And this woman, this woman that no one believed in, this woman who had been pushed aside, she shows us how. Look back at this. This physically broken, weakened woman walks close to 30 miles to get to Capernaum. But she didn't stop, she kept moving. As Jesus and Jairus are making their way through this crowd towards his home, many of us would have said, Oh, he's too busy. He's too focused. <laughs> Meet me and David, we've, we visited his grandmother back a, a month or so ago and she's got this huge flower garden out in the, in the front of her driveway. And, and she told me how she'd been weeding that garden, right? And she said, every, every weed, I was asking the Lord for strength. And she said, it, it took weeks. And I said, that's where he's been. He'd been so tied up pulling weeds, will you let him go for a few days, right? So he can help us. But God is right there in the street and this this physically weakened woman as Jesus and Jairus make their way through the crowd, she wouldn't be discouraged by it, she wouldn't give up. Instead, what does she do? She rallies her strength. Some even describes it as her crawling through the crowd, reaching out, believing that if she could just grab hold of his outer clothing, that she would be, touching, uh, be be close enough to receive a miracle. Verse 29 says that when she did, immediately her bleeding stops, and she felt in her body that she was freed. Freed from her suffering. Now there's a word for you. Not healed, not blushing with love, but freed. What's that saying? Don't stop with the physical healing. Jesus' choice to provide physical healing, listen, it's so much more than physical healing. Do you ever look at the healings that Jesus did provide in the New Testament? There was always something more that he gave, forgiveness of sins. In this case, his transformative Love. Now, which do you think is more important, forgiveness of sins or being healed of blindness or lameness? Which is more important, to have your bleeding stop or to know the love of God? Now, some of us, that's, that's a conflict. We're not for sure. We're not for sure at the moment. But the physical healing that God grants is always there to point us to the life-changing love of the healer. That's the purpose, is to point us to him. This past Monday, Deva and several of us had the opportunity to serve our community. Every, every fourth Monday, we're out here, and hundreds of cars line up. Dare comes up from Louisville with a truck full of food. We get to distribute that food to the cars. Sometimes we get to talk for a minute. Sometimes we don't. It's very, very busy. This week, about half of the crowd showed up. And so it was an opportunity for us to get to actually talk for a few minutes with people who came through the line. And Dava, she was out there before anybody else got here, checking them all in. And, and ironically, ironically, Dava's husband had just come from his first radiation treatment. She went with him, had his first rate, radi- and then she came here. And because she was here on that day, the very first truck in line out there was a man. She she walked over to the truck, said hello to him, and he said, could you pray for me? I was just diagnosed with prostate cancer. The very thing that her husband's being treated for. And she says, of course I'll pray for you. And she told him about Greg. We looked across the serving line. You know who else was out there with prostate cancer? Gary Newby getting ready to have surgery this week. Dave Swearns, who's playing the bass, he would have been here, but he was in the hospital having out this thyroid by surgery because of cancer in it, who's up here playing the bass this week, by the way. But anyway, she's out there. She has this conversation with him. And then she's headed to me, right? Dave, you got to go over here and meet this guy in the the gold-colored truck. He's got prostate cancer. We go pray with him. I said, you've already prayed with him. He doesn't need me. But I went over and I introduced myself, found out he lives, he lives five minutes from me. (laughs) And so we talk and we pray. But something he said struck me, struck me so much so that I wrote it down, God's timing. He said, I know God has the power to heal. How many of us have said that? I know God has the power to heal. And I'm trusting that he will take care of this, that he will touch me. And I want you to listen really, really close to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not picking this guy apart any more than I'm picking you or me apart. But I really want you to hear this. Yes, I believe God has the power to heal and he heals people every day. He touches people every day, and I hope that God would heal him, and I hope that God would touch him. That's what we prayed for, but my hope goes far beyond that, and I believe it's in alignment with what we're learning about today, and that is I hope that this man will touch Jesus. I hope that this man will reach out in his cancer and he will grab hold of Jesus, not just the hem of his garment, but the very heart and soul of who Jesus Christ is, and that he will know God's inseparable love for him because that is far more important than a physical healing. And I know some of you aren't there yet. And it's taken me seeing a lot of people suffer And to have things in my own life to get there. To know that his love is far much more important. And the things that come through suffering and understanding how inseparable his love is from us. It's only through those things that we begin to comprehend it and understand it, let alone accept it and live by it. This is the inseparable love of God. Jesus doesn't give us what we believe we need. He gives us what he knows we need. And that is a chance to be seen and a chance to be fully loved by him. Now it's interesting that Jesus knew exactly what it was, who it was that touched him that day. But yet when he stopped, noticed he didn't point her out. He didn't say, hey, you back there in the third row, right? I know it was you. Raise your hand and receive it, right? He, he doesn't say anything like that. He says, who touched me? Now, remember, remember what did we discussed earlier. Who knows our heart? Who knows our every word and action before it's ever spoken? Who knows? God, he's the only one. And so Jesus very much knew who this woman was, yet he said, who touched me? He let her decide whether she would step out or not. And in verse 33, it says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. And I want you to under, underline, the, we love to underline in our Bible. If your mother taught you don't write in the Bible, she was right. She was right, but, but I say right in it anyway. She fell at his feet with trembling, with fear, told him the whole truth. Notice that, it, that's out of place, isn't it? She, she just got a miracle. Jesus just wanted to know who, right? But for some reason, she felt that she needed to spill her guts. She needed to tell him the whole truth have you have you told jesus the whole truth Uh, what it is behind the request that you keep coming to him with underneath what it is that has life in such turmoil for you how you really feel what you really think what your questions are she tells him the whole truth now we we don't know we don't know what she says, but we have an idea. Maybe she told him about how alone she had been for so long. Maybe she told him about the pain, the pain and the the fear that this bleeding had brought to her. Maybe she told him how her affliction started. But I also want you to think if this woman had just slipped away in the crowd, yes, she would have received a physical healing but she would have missed out on the love because we know what Jesus said to her in verse 34. He looked her in the eye, she's still down at his feet (laughs) and he says, daughter, (laughs) daughter. I said last night to the embarrassment of my 16 year old (laughs) and my 11 year old, when my girls call me daddy right? They can have anything they want. (laughs) Anything that follows that. Now, I want you to think, I want you to just flip that. And when a man, when a dad, not to mention God himself, says, daughter. He calls her daughter. And he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And again, be free from your suffering. Now here's what I want you to know. There's no other place in scripture that I know of that Jesus refers to someone as daughter. There's no other place that he uses such a tender, inclusive name for someone who had been an outcast for so long. (laughs) Well, what about Jairus' daughter? (laughs) As wonderful as this moment had been, can you imagine being Jairus? Can you imagine being Jairus? One minute you've got the attention of the savior of the world. He said yes to coming to your house to put his hands on your daughter who is just hours away from death, must have some terrible illness. Jesus is on his way. This woman slips through the crowd, touches the hem of his robe. Jesus stops, has this long drawn out. He even calls her daughter. And you're Jairus standing there just chomping at the bit. Come on, right? She's okay. Let's go. And about that time, about that time, verse 35 says that word is sent to Jairus your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, he looks at Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just believe, and they picked up their pace, they went on to his house, and by now, the yard's full of people crying, and again, more detail, that maybe just seems meaningless to you, unless you've been here, and that is Jesus tries to comfort the crowds, think about the times that Jesus has tried to comfort you, they wouldn't have nothing to do with it, and so Jesus takes those who believe with him to the next level, He takes them into the house. Now I want to pause here and I want to to remind you, I find it so interesting that Jairus' daughter is how old? She's 12 years, how long had this woman been suffering? 12 years, for the same 12 years, for 12 years Jairus had loved his little girl and yet for the last 12 years every day, every day this woman had been in pain When this little girl took her first step, this woman was suffering. When this little girl was old enough to spend the night at her friend's house, this woman was still crying out in the darkness alone. What does that mean? It's no coincidence, but it illustrates this truth about God and his inseparable love. Jesus treats every person Jesus treats every person, whether child or aged, afflicted or whole, red or yellow, black or white, with a dignity that our world does not. We have his full attention, his full attention. And whether it hurts for a short time or for years, whether it takes something away for a moment or for a lifetime, the love that heals all, the love that transforms all, And brings life to all, it's there for all. It's for all. Verse 42, Jesus walks into the house. He takes dad, he takes two or three of his disciples. They go upstairs and he takes hold of this little girl's hand that had already become cold with death. Jesus takes her by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And the miracle, immediately she stood and walked around. For neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor things to come, neither powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, what will be able to separate us from the love of God? That is who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what is it? What is it that has convinced you? What is it that has convinced you that God's love isn't big enough? That God's love isn't gracious enough, generous enough for you? What is it that you feel has separated you? from his love. Jesus Christ came for you to change that. Jesus Christ came for you to change that, to end the separation between you and God's love. He paid the highest price that can be paid. He paid with his very life. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than this, no greater love than this, than a man, of which Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he lay down his life for his friend, friend. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are now friends of God. Full rights, sons and daughters, the completeness of a love that nothing, nothing that we do, nothing that has been done can separate us from the invitation is for you the invitation for you is to come and to receive that love how do you receive that love it begins with a profession i believe jesus is the christ the son of the living god and i accept him as savior and lord of my life belief not being good enough not having it all together but belief Belief that God loves you and has a place for you and is the only one who can take you there. (laughs) Won't you come? Won't you accept that? Be baptized and receive his Holy Spirit that guarantees the promise. Maybe you've done that, but yet something today has has wrapped you up so tight that you feel separated. Won't you come and let me remind you of the truth if you haven't been reminded already? That God so loves you that he came, that he gave us all because he wants you with him forever. <laughs> Maybe you've come today and you need to be part of a church family and you're an immersed believer already. This is your invitation to respond as well, to come and be part of this family. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience and for your kindness with us that, that, Father, no man or no woman would be separated from you. Father, today for those who have had situations in their life that have brought separation, maybe not a physical thing, but an emotional thing, maybe a relationship thing, Maybe, Father, it was an experience even within, within a church someplace and they feel separated from your love. Well, Father, I pray that today's truth, today's promise of Romans 8.38 will convince them that they can be at home in your love, that you are there And may they reach out today and and stop grasping at the hymn. But, Father, take hold of the heart of who you are and your promise to love us eternal. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come as we sing.